All right, everybody. It is Tuesday, one o'clock Eastern time, and that means we have another episode of the MSP Initiative. Today, we bring back my favorite sidekick, although he'll deny that that's what he is, Mr. Ken Patterson. And uh, today, we bring on and bring back to the MSP Initiative, Mr. Paul Redding from the Compliancy Group. How's everyone doing today? Awesome. Awesome. No, Paul's in Indianapolis today, and Ken, you're you're still in your basement in Boston. I am. I got uh, I got a new camera, which is uh, doing its thing, and uh, so I have a background now. Nice, very cool. Um, so again, you know, we've just been bringing people on one by one from the tour, try and see how things have gone since we've uh, been back off the street, and uh, just trying to figure out you know, kind of recapping how things went, what the feeling is, did we learn anything new that hasn't held true? You know, we're getting closer to the winter time, right? So a lot of people are talking about, you know, maybe a second wave of whatever we've been dealing with all year. I hope not. Uh, but generally speaking, it's still kind of warm in places, 70 degrees here in sunny Philadelphia. So it's not quite winter time yet. Halloween around the corner. So we're, we're doing okay. How are you doing, Paul? Good. I'm doing good. It's a beautiful day here in Indianapolis. I was just commenting on how the weather is, is been just gorgeous since I got up here. I think the sure. sound is a little hey, Paul, loud. A yeah, I was going to say, Paul, try and drop out of your audio and come back in. Uh, if not, maybe just disconnect and come back in and me and Ken can chat. You do that, no big deal. So, uh, so Ken, yeah. let's, let's, let's talk shop for a second, man. So I think Microsoft Ignite's happening right now, right? That's kind of part of your wheelhouse over in Pax 8 land. Yep, yep. You expecting anything new to come out of today or is it, we're just kind of sitting and waiting and see? Uh, I'm sure there'll be, there's always something new, right? They, uh, there's always something good that comes out of them. Um, and our team is, uh, is heavily involved with it. I am not, of course, at this point with all the things I have going on separate from that, but we have a pretty heavy presence in there. I saw some of them uh, logged in this morning and checking it out and showing their, their status online of them being at the event. So um, I'm assuming there'll be some more pretty cool things coming out from Microsoft. Cool. Probably more security stuff. I saw that they came out with a uh, communications API. So I'll take a peek at that in a little bit. Um, always interesting stuff from Microsoft that this is other than inspire ignites like their other big event of the year. Right. right? Yep. Cool. 100%. Yeah. They, they both, they both usually in person get a lot of visitors. <laughs> it's a very, they're both pretty good sized events. Yeah, I mean, Inspire is usually more of a internationally focused show, I feel like, in person. I don't know how it went virtually this year. It um, went pretty – It was I was I was a part of Inspire, and it was pretty amazing. I mean, they definitely had a lot of, a lot of people logged in from all over the world, um, and they did some pretty crazy good sessions. I was, uh, I was actually impressed with how they rolled some of the sessions out. They did um, – they did do some live stuff with uh, one of the, one of the Microsoft folks in a kayak on the water and then popping up and putting a mask on when he got up on the land and walking to a place. And they did a pretty good job of uh, having a theme and still be, you know, still having the masks be a part of it and plugging in, but being outdoors at places. And then Bill Gates rolls up to one of the spots and says, hello. Uh, it was pretty interesting. They did some pretty cool things. Yeah. Bill Gates. I just saw him on the news last night. You know, he's running that Gates foundation. Didn't realize that he's Gates junior. Did you know there was a Gates senior? I think I did hear that, but not like a, I, I wouldn't say that it was something I would say yes to right out of the gate. Yeah. It's interesting. I, uh, and then Gates senior just passed away this week. So that's a lot. That's how I heard about it. I was, I didn't realize there was a, a junior senior at the end of the name. Anyway, Paul, how we doing, buddy? You back? Try and unmute yourself, pal. <laughs> yep, got to do the unmute. I might be able to do it from here. There he is. How's that sound? Yeah, I just called back in. One problem at this hotel cool. has been the Wi-Fi. It's not. Uh, 
That was one thing on the tour that we realized. In the Indy area. Right? <laughs> yeah, that yeah, was one thing on yeah. the tour we realized. My five was a little bit shaky sometimes. Or non-existent. Yes, one of the smartest things we did with the three, uh, all three vendors thing. I got to give you credit for that. I think it, it, hey. at one point we all had to use different, uh, different Wi-Fi. Yep. Yes. 4G, 4G hotspot data for sure. It's probably not the most inexpensive stuff in the world, but it was helpful for sure. Um, yeah. Which actually, like yeah, one that. of the one of the things that was one of the things that was brought up by Dave Sobel, I had him on a week and a half ago, was that uh, the U.S. is so far behind on 5G. Do you guys both agree on that? I mean, there's commercials on it like every other, but I'm starting to. Try, I'm still looking for where the coverage is. Anyone? Yeah, I don't. I mean, it, it was. It's been talked about for a long time. But when have you actually looked at your phone and and even though it says five G, have actually felt five G? Right. Yeah, I was about to say. I don't think anybody's noticed that all of a sudden internet speed is just no longer an issue, and and five G has changed the world. I think it gave us all COVID though, right? Didn't five G uh, do this? I, yeah, they started trying to knock hours down. Unbelievable. Um, so, right. yeah, seriously. So, Paul, I mean, um, one of the things that we ran into you know, as we were driving around America was that um, people definitely, MSBs definitely acknowledged that they're probably not tightened up on the security stuff. I know it's probably a topic that's talked about or maybe over-talked about. But from a compliance standpoint, one of the things that happened earlier on from a government side was they relaxed a couple of things when it came to, you know, healthcare and e-servicing through like web meetings and stuff like that. I think a lot of people, we talked about this last time you were on, some people thought, oh, well, hey, HIPAA compliance has been shelved. We're good. You can just wild, wild west it. And I think you pretty much said, whoa, that has not been shelved. You're, you're not reading right. Has any of the re reduced restrictions, and I'd love for you to restate what those were, have they been tightened back up yet? Or are we still under these couple of exceptions? Well, actually, no, they have not retracted the, let's call it, lesson rules. Uh, as a matter of fact, they recently expanded yet another way that means nothing to 90% of the businesses of the world, but confused everybody again into believing that another major part of HIPAA has been stopped. So uh, maybe seven days ago or so, they came out and said, we're no longer requiring business associate agreements. Or at least that's what everybody heard. There's a big, long trailer to everything they said there that goes, for business associates who are sharing COVID data for the purpose of public health. So again, typical you know, government release, hey, HIPAA's been suspended. I mean, wait, not really. So now what all they've done right now is if you're keeping track of it, in the beginning, it, you had to have a business associate agreement on file with your telehealth provider. Well, whoever you use for video conferencing, you had to have a, a BAA on file with that. When COVID hit, if everyone had run to the $200 a month version of Zoom at once, probably would have crashed all their servers. So the government recognized there was more demand than there was resource available. And they said, okay, temporarily during this crisis, you can use basically any non-public facing video conference system. So they suspended that version of a BAA requirement. But like you and I talked about last time, that doesn't make it a good idea, right? Like we're using Zoom and you pick the version of Zoom that's free, they don't put the same security in place. So at Compliancy Group, we have just cautioned all of our folks, this has nothing to do with you or your clients. Proceed as normal and keep them secure and compliant or risk penalty and damage. What's interesting, Paul, is that, you know, the go you know, some government agencies are way behind, right? Like I saw something from my bookkeeper last night saying the IRS is behind on even cashing checks that have been mailed in because they're so backed up. But I'm still seeing fines coming out. I'm still seeing HIPAA violation fines being issued. So did Health and Human Services and that whole auditing arm not, you know, take a break or what happened here? 
No, as a matter of fact, in the last, what, 48 hours, they've released, you know, a million and a half dollar fine yesterday, two other fines that add up to a million dollars the day before. And the, the last one, a million and a half dollar fine was for a relatively small infraction against a relatively small organization. So, no, first of all, not only have they not slowed down, but right towards the end of last year, they approved the first ever third-party contracting for HIPAA audits. They're getting ready to ramp up. The way I tell people is, you know, if you think about it, the government just shelled out like $6 trillion to save everybody, right? You got to, you know, save the economy. They're going to want some of that back. And one sector that is going to survive and will have money from that they can confiscate from is going to be healthcare because we're all going to spend more money on healthcare in the coming years between COVID, the fact that everybody's getting old, you know, American society is extremely medically dependent. So if you're the government and you just went half broke yourself and you look around, who's got money, healthcare. Interesting. So that, that actually like, Again, if you're not reading clearly, you, it completely counter to what people think is actually happening. Ken, I want to I want to ask you a question, and I know I haven't really hit on tour stuff per se, but Sobel came on a week and a half ago and said that Microsoft, as part of Intune, is starting to turn on things like the content filtering service that they have, or the you know you know Windows Defender auditing you know application that they have, and they're starting to turn things on by default without you as the service provider or you as the end user doing anything, right? They're just starting to press buttons to like lowest common denominators being raised a bit. You heard this coming downstream from, you know, people who are deep in the 365. I know every MSP has some level of 365 in there, but I mean, obviously things are getting deeper as time goes on. Have you heard of any concerns about, you know, going in and double checking what, what switches are being flipped or are they just saying, Hey, whatever Microsoft says is fine with us. Yeah. I don't think anybody ever says whatever Microsoft says is fine with us. I think we, 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 let's be clear about that. I mean, we know that uh, right now Microsoft is, is putting a heavy push on security and that's a good thing. We want that. We need that. Um, I don't know that they're necessarily flipping switches on people like that. I do know that, the best, you know, the, the higher end, more mature MSPs best practices say that they check their settings weekly anyways, and make sure that not only Microsoft, but no, you know, there were not, there were not issues or, or anybody, anything that was caused by their own people. So they have their own in-house auditing to make sure that no one's making any changes that could affect them because they have their agreements in place and that could heavily affect them. Microsoft security pieces that they're pushing out they're not necessarily flipping switches and turning things on, but they are making more available. Uh, Intune and, Bit and Defender are two things that you just brought up are both things that probably six months ago, even, yeah, even six months, even six months ago, were not even close to where they are right now. They're just, they're just making advancements and leaps and bounds where let's even go back a little bit a year and a half ago. If you had asked me about Intune, I, you probably wouldn't, I wouldn't stop laughing until the end of this call until the end of this call because it just wasn't what it was supposed to be. And now it seems almost ready to get to the point where it can start doing RMM type stuff and actually be getting a little bit deeper and diving into much more utilization. And obviously it needs that multi-tenancy. That's the piece that everybody's waiting for. Um, but it's getting pretty close to being able to be a real super tool. And same with Defender. About a year ago, you wouldn't even be talking about Defender. And now, in some cases, it can replace some of the AV products that are out there. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, Huntress, right, which has been pretty popular uh, by name in, in the MSP space now for the last, I'd say, 16, 18 months. Um, they're actually stating that they're about to be launching a Defender management platform, right, where you can literally centralize management of the built-in Windows firewall, built-in Windows antivirus solution, uh, through their platform. So it's, and, you know, piggybacking on, you know, the SolarWinds announcement with Microsoft back at Inspire, right. right? They're now saying that they've done an API integration with the newest Microsoft Intune functionality, right? So they can pull that data into their solution. I'm sure the other big providers are going to follow suit. Right. So yeah, I agree. how much, how much collaboration do you suspect 
is actually going to be happening here where Microsoft's doing stuff and then the third party's like, hey, let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's just tie in and then continue to build out from there. Yeah, I think it'll be a, a mix. I mean, as you know, right, some people think they know it all and think that they can do everything and maybe do it better. And other people are going to say, oh, these guys are kind of the leader and have the cash and are doing all these things in the back end and they're going to tie in from that perspective. So I think, you know, your guess is as good as mine, I guess, if we're trying to, you know, look into the future because we know things change on a dime. But the one thing I will say, being a guy who was an MSP for many, many years and was partnered with Microsoft and used to hate some of the stuff they did and didn't feel like they really were in our corner, I can tell you now, in the last eight months, six to eight months, maybe a year, Microsoft has really taken a large effort to better understand the SMB space and wanting to be more involved with it. And I saw that at some of the PAX 8 events where they cornered me and asked me about my small, when I was an MSP and started asking questions and some of the positions they've created around learning more about the SMB space and how they can better be involved with that space. And as, you know, from an MSP perspective, I'll tell you, they, they, they're, showing, they're showing a lot more in the last year than they have in the last you know, 10 years, as far as how much more they wanna be involved um, and it just shows some of the changes that they're making are leaning right towards that, that very thing that they do care and they do want to get more involved. So, Paul, here's a good question for you then, because it fits right into the mix. Uh -huh. You know, we heard a lot of guys on the tour say that, hey, they're pushing more and more to the cloud. You know, the, the Band-Aid remote access solutions just didn't hold up. They needed to do more permanent projects. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, I push everything to Microsoft Azure. Everything's M365 they're on the hook for it. Is that actually true? Just because Microsoft gives you a BAA doesn't mean that you're 100% done and you can turn the door, do a close the door and move on to the next one. Oh, no, absolutely not. In fact, Microsoft, even, even more so than Google, has a very, very carefully written BAA that puts almost all of the accountability for HIPAA, PCI, any regulatory to control or standard 100% on you or the user, whoever's administrating that data. So I'll give you a good example that I think a lot of the MSP community is familiar with, but I mean, I'll admit I didn't understand this till maybe a year ago. Microsoft 365 by default's not backing up your data. So you can activate this through the 365 suite. There are third parties that have built out some really, really sexy, well-built applications that kind of take this and put it outside of that. You're responsible for maintaining the continuity and availability of that data. So if they keep it highly available and you get ransomware in the cloud, you have highly available access to garbage. You know what I mean? Like there's not really a second copy of that stuff there, for example. Oh, another thing actually well, I'll, I'll add to that is, well, and, and I mean, that's what I was going to say. One more thing I'll add to that, honestly, is let's talk about the security aspect of it, right? You're supposed to monitor, log, and audit access to the systems. If you don't set up 365 right, you can buy all the SKUs perfectly. There's a lot of administrative and setup, you know, at work that has to be done on the front end to make those systems capable of being used for PHI. Hey, I have, I have to throw sure. something out at Paul Redding, too. Just, you know, we were talking about audits and all these things. And, Paul, you know, I always toss this at you. But I got to do it here while we're talking about it. You guys have never failed an audit. Is that correct? We at Compliance Group have never been audit, audited. Our clients have never failed an audit. Uh, we, we, we defend our clients under audit in the sense that if you go through our process, do our full methodology and implement everything it takes to get HIPAA compliant in the first place. Unfortunately, bad things can happen to good people, including you, which are not going to be penalized and fined or, or caught and, and uh, charged under the law. We can prove that you've made a good faith effort to achieve HIPAA compliance, and you're correct. We've done that time and time again. We've never had a client that achieved our seal of compliance fail an audit. That's, that's really cool. I just love that's one of my favorite things. So you mentioned earlier, and I think it was a drive-by, but let me just ask one more time. You're saying, or just said, I'm going to reiterate, that the federal government is going to start to outsource audits outside of their own personnel to third parties. Did you say that? Did I hear that? 
Yeah. So the first time we don't, and nobody really knows what this means yet. So they they have authorized the creation of third party auditors. This is a this is a new thing that they've just started doing, and it's in preparation to expand both the consistency with which they audit and their ability to do do audits more quickly. One thing I'll tell you is that in our history, you know, we've been back to you know we, that we've never had so many fail. We're engaged in two or three major federal audits at any given moment, partially because of the length of time that it takes for these things to get through. So you might get audited today and have to deal with this thing for the next two or three years. It takes a very long time and a lot of resources. They're streamlining it just like we are all streamlining our own processes to get in there, show what you did or didn't do, and get back out with your money much more quickly and more efficiently. Interesting. Okay, that's good to know. So, Paul, I mean, I've never asked this question, but it's worth asking. You know, one of the things that our good friend Sobel also brought up was he actually interviewed uh, a cyber um, cybersecurity insurance underwriter, right? The guys who on the back end of the bean counters going through and finding out mm -hmm. really how much they're going to charge. Like this isn't the insurance agent. This is the guy from the carrier who's reviewing how, what your risk level is. So when it comes to people who do have um, HIPAA compliance, you know, you know, related, you know, liability, how where does the insurance part kick in, right? Like, do they need extra coverage? Does having the compliance help keep their premiums lower? Like, I'm just trying to understand how far this goes because from what I got from that interview between Sobel and Mr. Underwriter, forget the name, um, things are about to get a lot more expensive a lot quicker than we thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so insurance companies, first of all, compliance is a way for insurance companies not to pay. Nobody's going to come out and say that from their end, but here's the reality. Every insurance policy you ever sign in your life asks you if you're in compliance with all laws surrounding what you do for a living. So if you're expected to comply with the HIPAA law, you are negligent. You are not doing what you're supposed to do, and the breach was caused because of something that's a violation of the law. You just gave them a way out. It really doesn't matter what the rest of the policy says. They don't have to do it. You've, you've violated your part of the agreement. Now, the other thing is that you're right. Insurance companies are changing the way that they evaluate risk. They're starting to have to take into account a couple of things. One, obviously, are federal regulations like HIPAA. But think about every state starting to release their own privacy standards, right? Insurance companies are suddenly one, like trying to indemnify you against penalties they don't really understand themselves. So yes, what's going to eventually happen is you will be able to prove through certain methodologies. You know, there, I know a lot of people, I'll say this, I don't think there's a proven way to do this yet. They're looking for a way for us to demonstrate to insurance companies, look, if I have complied with this, my risk is lower than that guy over there. And until we can successfully demonstrate risk levels, if you have a compliance standard you must achieve, your insurance premiums are going to continue to rise. Coming out of COVID, there's going to be a lot of breaches. Everybody let their guard down. This is going to get way worse before it gets better. Interesting. Ken, here, you know, are you, you know, we all heard on the road, right? Are you starting to hear more and more MSPs questioning whether they should, A, be reselling some sort of cyber liability you know, offering, or B, partnering with an agency to offer it, or C, require a certain level of coverage as part of their MSA, because if none of these things occur, the customer ends suing the MSP to get to their insurance carrier, right? So like it becomes really murky. Like what are you, what, what's, what's the growing thought around it? Yeah, I, well, I would say all of the above. Um, it's been a mix. I think we've heard we heard every angle on this, and, and Paul definitely got his share of his share of this on the trip as well. Is that, you know, what's right, what's wrong? How are we better? How are we going to, as MSPs, better educate our customer base and let them know that the insurance they have right now might not even cover them? And, and Paul alluded to all of that. He's absolutely correct. And I know, speaking from one of the states that at one point had the highest privacy law before New York and Cali got involved. Massachusetts had one of the worst 
uh, it was the CMA seven CMR 17 or something here in Massachusetts. And it had, it was scary when it first came up. Then of course they lobbied it down a bit, but still there was a lot in there where an insurance company, if they didn't look to this, look to the, the, the writing on this, where you were required to have a wisp, you were required to do, use best efforts based on that wisp, which is your written internet security policy, something like that. Am I right about that, Paul? Yeah, wisp, right in yeah. it is. Right, yeah. and so yep. in Massachusetts, they had to have that wisp and they had to follow that and then they had to have their best practices following that. And even the insurance companies themselves, we had a customer who was an insurance company and we went to them and talked to them about what they needed and he ended up freaking out when he went back to the insurance, you know, the whole, the body of insurance companies and came back and said, Ken, you're right. I didn't know any of this. And that's what's making it even more difficult because as insurance companies, we don't even know that one little thing in there that's missing completely blows that whole entire rider out the window, right? You're paying for it. Great. You think yeah. you're covered. But if you weren't following that wisp when they go to it and find out that you were doing best practices, the whole thing got blow up, blown up. So yeah, George, I mean, what we were hearing is people were just completely confused and wanted to know what the best way to go about this was. And I still don't know that there's a clear answer on how to do this or, or what to do, but I think there has to be an open conversation between the insurance companies and the people who know about the, these, you know, the security part of this, like Paul and, you know, people in the industry that could say, hey, listen, this is what you need to do to be compliant. Yeah, I mean, my, my biggest I, I all is that, well, my biggest concern is that, you know, let's say the MSP does their part, right? They follow the rules, they go out, they get an insurance policy to cover them, right? Errors, emissions, all this stuff, right? Professional, right. general, blah, blah, blah. But that insurance covers the MSP that doesn't cover their customer, right? So like, if you don't start putting these pieces in place downstream, you're waiting for you know the litigation and nobody here is gonna deny that the amount of energy it takes to go through that, insurance or not, is draining. So- I, yeah. I think it's become, I think we're getting to a point where there is a shared risk between the MSP and their clients that uh, I, very few people in the channel are truly comfortable with having the conversation about, right? You, it, it's why when we talk to MSP partners that first come on board with us and start trying to sell HIPAA downstream, the number one question they ask me first is how do I tell my existing customers I'm using this? Because I know they're going to say, well, what were you doing before, right? There, there's a place where we don't want to acknowledge what we don't know. We're supposed to be the experts in everything. The whole landscape has completely changed in the last couple of years, right? Like if you back up five years ago, the MSPs that would tell you that they are security focused first would be, you know, 10, 20%. Now everyone at every event, everywhere you go is like, I am an MSSP. I'm a security focused MSP. This is all we talk about and all we think about. Right, the air quotes MSSP. I think that conversation's gotta change with our customer and there's a degree of honesty that needs to be had. We can only protect you as well as you protect yourself. Right, yeah. and I think there's a, good, uh, there's a good push to do that now because we can just say, well, things have changed, things have gotten, you know, things are gonna get a lot worse since this COVID, since this pandemic hit, security has been brought to a whole new high, right? So I think they can still use that. I mean, I've always said in the past when we talked about how do you, how do you go to your customers about something new? Because you're right, the first thing they say is, well, how come you didn't know about this before? Well, because almost no one did, but now we're doing our homework and trying to figure out where we can make ourselves better would you rather be with a company that's not ever going to discuss this? Or would you rather know about this now? And we can start planning for the future so that this doesn't happen again. I think that's the conversation that has to start happening now. So Paul, there, there was a question that just came in and I'm going to ask you know, for our friend Brent, who's our number one question asker for <laughs> MSP Initiative. So it says, Paul, so who investigates these compliance issues? I hear from the industry that clients need to be careful, but I've never actually seen the HIPAA police, or nor have any of the clients that I support seen them. Who are then in black? <laughs> Believe it or not, it's the Office of Civil Rights. It's OCR. So you have a civil right to privacy. The violation of this is a violation of your civil rights. So the way that it works, 
And, and the follow-up question I usually get right after I hear that one, Brent, is, well, what causes an audit, right? Like, why do the people from OCR come after you? The way it works is kind of a, there's a series of things that happen. So first you have an incident. An incident is anything that gets reported as a potential breach, okay? So that could be something that's very real, like uh, a malware attack or some kind of IT issue, but that also could be as simple as a patient walking out the door angry at a doctor and calling in and saying that they saw their medical record in the trash can. Any incident at all must be investigated. Now, that doesn't mean that that second example, an audit's immediately going to take place, right? What happens is the first time or the, the beginning of the incident, the, the clinic in question, the MSP, the BA, whoever it is, will get a request for information from OCR. It is, hey, there has been this incident. We need your incident response. There's a process. There's a methodology, and there's an expected deliverable to that question. If you can hand it over and they look at it and you've got all your ducks in a row, most of the time you're just going to go back to living your life and they're going to determine that this wasn't a breach or it's a minor breach and they let you move along. If it's determined that there is a breach here and then you're found at all lacking or questionable, they open an audit. A breach then begets, okay, we know we've had medical records that were actually lost, not just some incident where it's you know, potential, but there's been exfiltration of data. Once that takes place, they're going to go in and perform an audit. But you're right, they don't show up. This is one of the most common misconceptions, is men in black are going to show up at your office and like start rooting through your files. Guys, they're not going to read your configuration files. They're not going to dig through the file cabinets at your office. It is an expected, it's a paperwork response. They are asking for information and 100% proof that you've done everything that's expected. Our average audit response is like 400 pages of data as opposed to the you know 50 or 60 worth of IT stuff that normal people would send in. Remember, the law is written by lawyers to be enforced and audited by lawyers from OCR. 400 pages, oof. Yeah, yeah it's like 400 quick, pages of documentation. I don't yeah. think I've read 400 <laughs> pages of anything recently. Uh, okay, good to know. Um, all right, so let's let's thank Brent. Set, Brent says great answer uh, there, Paul. Uh, so so let's 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 go to the yeah. Let's get to the other side of this. So, um, how you know part of, part of the challenge, right, with whatever technology that everybody you know putting out there is measuring stuff, right? I mean, everybody has all this stuff they're putting out, but then it needs to be reported on, then it needs to be, you know, kept, you know, for a while, right? So you can prove things are, in, you know, in check, right? And it just seems like one of the biggest things that we heard a long way along this 7,000 mile journey, I'm going to say 7,000 mile plus because I had to drive Ken Patterson back to Boston, <laughs> but for the part where there are MSPs, um, one of the things that we keep on hearing is tool fatigue. Everybody's swiping the cards. Everybody's buying all the stuff. It's sitting there. They're paying for it, but they just can't get them to really give them the information that they need easily, right? And so as a result, it kind of just sits on the shelf. It's on, but they, they, they're not even using it properly because it's too difficult. I mean, so and so from that we've heard all sorts of stuff right hey i'm turning stuff off i'm trying to go all microsoft or hey you know i'm hiring an outside consultant to help me redo it or hey i really never onboarded these products because i bought them and then i never had the time to invest what are you know what are the things that we heard along the way of the success stories of how we're hearing people get out of that cold because right now that seems to be too rampant guys That's a great question. I, I, I think Ken would agree with me here that there is a huge push to at least, I'm not going to say they're going 100% Microsoft, everybody, everywhere, but there is a unification behind Microsoft. There's a lot, especially the more sophisticated shops that can work around things like multi-tenancy, right? But, but that being said, there's also a um, cooperation that's happening between a lot of the different tech companies that allow platforms to integrate to each other and, and create a, maybe a more smooth you know, delivery process. 
So I, I, I see two different things. I see the teams that are headed by Microsoft and really like getting out there and saying this is the, you know, the platform behind which we'll unify, and everybody else is demanding deep API integrations between these otherwise disparate technologies. Ken? Yeah, I kind of agree. Is that where you were going with this, George? I mean, what is the? Oh, is I, mean, the I, I really, I'm just, I'm just, I keep, I hear it way too often, right? I have 25 different subscriptions that I'm paying for as an MSP. They, they don't really talk to each other. All, yeah, you know, there's this paper thin thing that's called integration, and we can't seem to make heads or tails out of exactly what's happening, and we're still too much reactive rather than being proactive. Like, listen, time is the ultimate, you know, denominator, right? How much time am I spending is always at the bottom of all of this. But like, I feel like we're hearing a lot and we heard a lot and we still continue to hear a lot that the tools just still don't put them on the other end of the proactive, you know, scale. They're still super reactive because they're not being, they're not getting information as it comes or they're not able to pull the information out to make it usable for them. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I was that's why I was trying to dig a little bit more out of you there. And uh, and Brett says great comment, right? Tool overlap, overlap, and he's right. I mean, the the thing, the fact of the matter is that first of all, as MSPs, I think a lot of what we heard was resting on the MSPs' shoulders too, because the MSPs tend to get all the shiny new toys, get them all at one time, bring them back to the office, and say, hey. Here's all these shiny new toys. Check them out and then let me know what you think. Well, guess what? Nothing gets done there. Very little gets done. Or they spend a little too much time on each thing. And so I think part of the onus is on the MSPs to prioritize what tool they need first, what's most important to them, and then try to plug that in and then get it to their team and let their team implement it in-house so that they know how it works. They can utilize it. They know where it breaks. They can do all the things they need to do and then implement it into their clients, right? Start in the in-house first because you, that's how everybody's gonna know how to use it, work it, run it. Um, and but, then you can slowly do, they, do that do between have, the tools. But Ken, do they even have the time to allocate into what I would categorize as R&D, bench testing? I, I agree, but that's, you have to, that's, the, that's what I'm saying. The onus rests on them to find that time. I mean, Oh, I, I did hear a lot about projects slowing down here. Well, how about making an investment in your own company and create projects in-house to do these types of things before projects start to launch off again, right? Because, you know, we did hear that projects slowed down. Yes, they got busy in other areas, which is good. That means these uh, more mature MSPs are riding this out and doing well, even without the project work. In, that, in, the, in those spaces, why not take some of your best people you're still keeping them on in most cases because a lot of those people got their PPP and their idle and all the things they needed to do that. Start creating projects around building your business back up, the MSP business, because that's still an investment in your part, your customer base, because the better you are, the better they are. So I really believe that that's where some of that time should be pulled away from is getting some time to do that. And listen, even before all this, we needed to do that. I was one of the biggest culprits of not doing that. We got busy. We think everything's good. But then what happens when you hit that wall and it's because you didn't take the time to get the next tool in place that needs to be taken care of. And then to Brent's point about tool overlap, if you're doing it in a, in a more, a, a better planned out way, you're less likely to run into that tool overlap because you're not dumping six tools on your team at the same time. Okay, fair. So I'm gonna flip for a second and say, we, I definitely heard the theme that all the security is creating a worse customer experience that their customers are now pushing back on them saying it's becoming too complicated to even do simple things like sign on to my damn computer i don't want this <laughs> turn it off right i mean i heard it uh, i i mean listen we all we all feel it right i mean even even myself who's been i've been doing this for so long on both sides of the fence now and Today I was logging into an email. I got my MFA thing pop up and I'm like, but I need to get this email done right now. But I had to stop, log into my MFA, do, you know, do the, get the multi-factor, get the text, send the thing that, you know, all the things that happened. And I get it. But at the same time, it's a hell of a lot better than someone spoofing my email and, and getting ransomware. I, I, so, I mean, we, we kind of have to take the good with the bad here and get that. I do agree with you 
but I also think we, if we're doing a better job of educating the partners, the end users, uh, about why this is all happening, and guess what? Now they see it more, right? It's all over the news. It's everywhere. You can't not see it. I think that helps with that case, but I, I don't know what the, uh, you know, obviously there's no silver bullet in most of what we do, but I don't think there's a silver bullet to that, but I think education is the core of everything. If we're better educating the partners, um, they're going to better understand what, why they need to do these things. And it also one part of what you said, don't overcomplicate it with security technology. Make sure you have the right mix. Find the stack that works for your, what you're doing and what your customers need, um, because that also could be a problem. Oh, I mean, Brent yeah, comes and back and says, humans always find a way to circumvent that which is pain in the ass. Do you agree? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. You know, that's it's funny that that's actually the biggest problem we've got, right? Is is that there is a natural human, a human beings hate change. So anything that you're going to do that forces like massive change across the organization, you're going to find resistance immediately. Factor that into something that takes what yesterday was this very but now basic, I sign into my computer, right? It's my dog's name, the year I got made, and an exclamation point. And this is what I use. When, that, when you are so used to that on a daily basis, and now all of a sudden you've got to get your cell phone out to get into your computer, people just immediately abhor it. My experience as an MSP and talking to a lot of partners now was that MSA and the implementation thereof was one of the most disruptive and frustrating things to users. Yet all of us in the security space know, like this is the beginning of securing your environment. You have to put MFA on all these critical accounts. So I'll, I'll kind of echo what Kim said earlier. I, it, it's about the education for your client. It's about getting buy-in from them and letting them understand that you didn't do this stuff just to be a pain in their ass, right? There's very real potential for damage if you don't put this stuff in place. But yes, Ren is right. I mean, people are still going to try to fight a way around it. They, they, they hate when you make them change and hate when you complicate their lives. Right. Brent says tech is, all, tech is great until human beings come along. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Uh, yeah, layer eight screws everything. So, yeah, 100%. So, I, what, you know, like uh, recent events, right? Uh, over the weekend, um, the Homeland Security, uh, you know, Department of the Government comes out and says, hey, you better start, you better patch your stuff like now over the weekend. Don't wait till Monday to get this patch out because it's bad. I mean, I really, I, we've seen stuff come out, but like, they're starting to get really super involved in like putting that the notice out that people better get get their stuff you know out there right away, especially when there's like really critical ones, zero day ones. I mean, how deep is the government now going to get into? Like we we keep on hearing you know cybersecurity framework, CMMC, all these different things, but like when they're putting these notices out, guys, this isn't because you're deal doing business with the government. It's an overarching notice, right? Well, so that's the. That's the second one to George, by the way. Yeah. Department of Homeland Security does not give one crap about MSPs. We, we know this. So when they're, putting out, mm -hmm. when they're putting out an actual bulletin to say, the first one said, MSPs are under attack. You are the number one community right now that's under attack because they can attack one to get many, right? And that came direct yeah. from the Department of Homeland Security. And that was one of the first things I put into every mission briefing. I made sure everybody knew Department of Homeland Security doesn't care about us yet. But and so if they're putting that out there, that means it's serious. And now we have this second one talking about you better patch your stuff. Man, that, that's that's scary. I mean, that is pretty scary. So that's one thing you got to drive home when you see something coming from them. They have much bigger things to deal with than MSP world. But that means that, we're, you know, there's some big things happening in our industry. Not good things. We need to find a way to patch up those holes and get secure. And we already knew MSPs were under attack and that came in a big way. Mm. I mean, I'm starting to worry now, right? And back to our buddy Sobel. I mean, CompTIA pulled out of the lobbying business for the technology sector, right? Yeah, you know, we already heard Louisiana with this new cybersecurity, you know, uh, you know, beginning of regulation, if you would, where right. they have to at least register. I mean, how 
you know, let's fast forward five years from now, which in technology land, I feel is an eternity. I mean, this could look dramatically different when it comes to the legality of who's responsible for what. And coming back to how damn complicated things like HIPAA are, I'm concerned that the people who are going to write these laws are, could barely turn their computers on, guys. Right. It's true. Well, it, it's... It, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, no, Paul. Sorry. Sorry, I have a little bit of a delay. Um, no, it, it, there is a... There's a very sad reality that the MSD sector is going to continue to get hit harder and harder and harder by these malicious actors because what Ken said earlier, by and large, they don't keep their house straight first, right? Like you go to these events, you meet these vendors, you bring this stuff back, you implement it in the lab, you immediately try to figure out how you can get paid for implementing this security service downstream. But in reality, you're the biggest target in the room. If they get you, then they get to all these people. And, and the federal government, state governments like Louisiana, they realize this. It's easier. It's, when we talk about healthcare, why are the hackers going to go after healthcare and not financial when they can take the money from the banks? It's the same reason you rob a liquor store instead of a bank, because you can rob like 12 liquor stores and get away with it before you can successfully rob one bank, right? That's the MSPs of today. We are, unless, we are in unless, an era where... Unless you're in Texas, hmm? that's different. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. You might not get out of a liquor store in Texas. <laughs> um, but, but we are, we're, we're in a sector where a, what I believe is going to happen is first, obviously, there's going to be some really nasty breaches in the MSP community. Individual states are going to follow suit with Louisiana. They're going to start to identify this. And, and the registration is step one. Step two is going to be some form of enforced licensing or, you know, overarching security standard. I think people uh, had a brilliant conversation with, like, Matt Lee from Iconic when we were on the bus that sees a form of self-regulation within our industry as part of the natural evolution of this. I mean, should there not be some kind of barrier to entry in being an MSP? Should I be able to, you know, Leave, leave the fast food place I work at today because I know some buzzwords in IT and sell myself as someone you should let remote into your medical systems. Right now, that's kind of the way it is. He with the best website and the, you know, the firmest handshake is one in a lot of cases. Well, there's something to be said for uh, learning, right? You know, you fix some computers out of your trunk or your, your garage or your basement. You kind of learn and start building your way up. But there's, I mean, with all the stuff we're talking about, guys, right? And I was just on a session a couple of weeks ago with Tom Watson and Jonathan over at Ninja RMM talking about pricing and packaging, right? There's still people out there doing $50 a computer by pricing. And I just can't see how they can keep up with all this stuff at that price point. I just, I don't, I don't see it. Yeah, agree. We've, I think we've had that conversation at nauseum and Paul, before he joined compliance group had a great way of looking at, you know, things as a business as opposed to anything else. And he had his BSP plan and, you know, Paul, I think you, I wouldn't do it justice, but I think your, your, uh, translation of what it should be is is uh, spot on i that, thank you ken I, I i don't think that there's anything necessarily far-reaching in, in in what i see there i think there's again a natural evolution that happens with what was a strictly it service company five years ago and what you have to be to support the business market of today and if you back up and you say, what was the biggest risk to healthcare in 2010? It was, it was like viruses and worms. I mean, we were talking what now looks like extremely low level threat. The same thing is true with regulatory compliance and the laws around it. Everything got more complex. So businesses of today are not looking to solve just an IT problem anymore. When they bring in a managed service provider, they start talking to you about their systems and they say words like HIPAA. What they're asking you to do is help them with a business problem. You have to recognize that. IT is a symptom of this problem, right? Workflow is a symptom of this problem. The ID10T error sitting at that chair over there, that guy, he's a symptom of this problem, right? And so if you take that approach and instead of taking a traditional MSP, which is – Somewhere out there, there's a product, 
for that and a product for that and a product for that. And when I'm done with products and maybe a splash of help desk, I've delivered a solution. Instead, take a look at what's wrong with this business. Take a look at what this person is trying to achieve and help them cover the whole problem. It's a business solution provider mentality. Deliver something that's larger than just the tech and be able to talk to your customer and have these honest conversations. Education is not a technology deliverable, right? But we're, we're behooving to ourselves. We, we're beholden to the client. We must deliver education or we're doing them a disservice. The same thing is true with all these other business characteristics, you know, compliance and workflow and, and training. No, 100%. I agree with that. I mean, I think part of the problem, though, guys, is that, the, the, you know, the scroll backwards for a second, right? The owner-led technical guy who's, you know, started a business, who's really good at solving, you know, technical issues, may not be the best people person. And as a result, may not be the best person to transfer knowledge, right? To teach people and to train people within an organization on the things that they need to know that they don't from a technology aspect. So I'm just curious, you know, like before we said, hey, if you pivot to sales and marketing and you're good at that and you're just okay at tech, you'll probably be better off financially than being a super uber guru, but having no sales and marketing skills. Is this now pivoting? Are we saying, hey, you need somebody in your organization, whether you outsource this or whether you insource this, that can literally spend the time to get in the weeds with the people and actually transfer that knowledge because we keep on saying education, but what does that actually look like, guys? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I think you hit it right on the head. It's, it, we talked about this before, George, where, you know, you have to find out what your strengths and weaknesses are and then determine what things you're going to get, who you're going to hire, or how are you going to get those areas covered, right? You can't be everything to everyone. And so, yeah, you could be a really technical person uh, or start a business. And then you have to realize, okay, but what am I good at? Am I only good at the technical? Am I good at the technical? And I'm good at explaining the technical, but I can't sell it. You know, you have to figure out the places where your strengths are, where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are, and then learn how to let go, right? We talked about this before when we were talking about someone that was asking about their accounting and you know, when they're not an accounting guy, and I was like, yeah, none of us are. We didn't start out that way. There's very few tech guys that know accounting, right? So you have to get the, the guts up to find somebody that you trust. And by the way, heavily vet them. Make sure that you have all good references because it's also the one area that can hurt you the most. Um, but still, you have to figure out where those strengths and weaknesses are. Find good people. And it goes back to the old saying, find people who are smarter than you. That's the way, that's what you should be doing when you're looking to hire people and bring people on. Surround yourself with people who are smarter than you and your business will grow. Yeah, and I'll add to that, quit trying to hire yourself. Yeah. That was one of the biggest problems that I've had in my career, right? Is either me or my engineer, my partner was the engineer. Whichever one of us got to hire, we hired people based on characteristics that we thought we wanted to see them emulate from us. So he wanted to make them you know, a VMware engineer and really focus on this one specific aspect and then build from that. I wanted to create this, you know, very customer-centric focus. You, you have to play people to their own strengths and weaknesses, right? You're never going to create another one of you. You're never going to create another one of that really stellar, super, like, perfect engineer. Bring people in, recognize their strengths and weaknesses, and create a realistic role for them. Something that solves the problems in your business that you're trying to, you know, accomplish, but doesn't put them in a position where they have to become someone else. They have to behave like you. My experience, that never works. Agreed. Hey, George, before we run out of time, you have to ask Paul your favorite question. I mean, we talked, we were on the tour, we had the whole thing going, and you haven't asked Paul your favorite question to ask from the bus, from the people who were on the tour. What was uh, your favorite food? See, I didn't even have to say that. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Everything we had the whole time? It was a lot. We had a lot I know, of food, man. I, I, sure. I have to get, we, we ate so well on this trip. And there's so many incredible uh, vendors that brought us food. I, 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 hmm. I'll tell you the one, you know what? I'll tell you the one that surprised me the most. How about this? So, you know, I'm from Memphis, and therefore we are 
pretty picky about barbecue as a concept. I'm not likely to eat barbecue in your part of the country and rave about it. Um, think ours is pretty much on time. In California, of all places, in Temecula, was the barbecue truck, right? Yep. That thing was absolutely stellar. Some of the best beef and, to their credit, pork barbecue I've ever had. Hats off those people. I was, I was blown away for that one. Now, I'm not even like a huge barbecue eater, but that one struck me. That's funny. Brent actually said, yep, and he was there with us. So I, there you go, Brent. <laughs> I'm going to leave the, la I'm gonna leave the, last, the last topic because Brent puts a good one up here. Um, vend let's call this the channel conflict, right? The vendor, partner, and customer conflict, right? So Brent brings up a, 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 a scenario, if you would, where he's like, hey, you know, Let's say you're having a problem with the way tools are being advertised to the end user, right? You know, customer, you know, gets pitched back up, right? For me, let's say that back up, let's call it $1,000 a month. But then the customer's like, Psh, I'll just go sign up for iDrive. It's $70 a year. I mean, the marketing that occurs from the vendor who sells direct to the end customer, and then with the partner squeezed in the middle, I mean... I mean, from an education factor, right off the you're fighting bad marketing. And frankly, I see this every single day. Thoughts? I give the Tommy boy quote, but I don't know if it's appropriate to say live on Facebook. But, you know, would you, would you <laughs> put his word for it? You know what I'm talking about? You know the line I'm talking about. No, okay. I mean, I think, oh, yeah. I think it's, it's just like everything else. Setting expectations includes that. When you're talking to your when you're talking to your customers, your partners, whatever, however you want to call whatever you want to call them, expectations are very important. And I used to tell, I mean, I was in the business when we were all talking about points on hardware, right? When we were selling boxes and we were pushing white boxes and doing that type of stuff. And everybody used to say to me, "How the hell are you getting 40 points on those boxes? We're barely making." Because what I did was expectations. You can buy this anywhere. Anybody can put this together. But what you're getting with me is the value that's behind it everything that goes along with it. If you want to go buy a box someplace else, you might, you, you might, you're going to have to go someplace else. If you want to come with us, you're going to use our equipment. And this is why we do this. We, you know, X, Y, and Z. And we set the expectations. Yeah. I lost customers overpriced, but they were probably people I didn't want to do business with in the first place. So I was much happier with that. It's the same thing. Set expectations so that the people that you're doing business with value what you do enough to believe that, they get some fly by night, someone who's offering prices, by the way, my camera's auto adjusting every time I move. So I'm changing colors. This is awesome. Um, <laughs> that's the, that's where you want to be ahead of the game with those, those, those customers and partners. If they value what you do, they're not going to, because think about it, this is the same anywhere. Someone can go to Amazon and try to buy what you're trying to get them without any, right. Without any backup, without any real trial, without understanding it. Those are the people you don't want to probably do business with anyways. So I would say my thing would be, yeah, Ken the Chameleon, um, my thing would be set those expectations up front, let them know, yeah, you can go anywhere and buy this stuff at any time. But the reason why you're paying this price isn't for the part or the piece or the solution or whatever. It's about the package. What we do for you, it's all part of the same package. We're not going to rip you off, but we may not be the cheapest. And then we lay that out. That, I mean, that's, that's how I did it. I know it's getting a lot harder with stuff like this where they're going direct, but I still believe if you have your customers and partners trained to see the value in what you do, they don't care what you get for them. I'm just, I'm, I'm just waiting for people to go to Amazon to buy MSP services. Watch. Right. It's coming. <laughs> actually, that's a good thing right. too. That's actually a good thing too. Cause anybody that wants to buy from them for that type of service is probably not someone I would want to have as a client. Yeah. It removes them from the buyer's pool. Keeps you from making a mistake. Right. Right. <laughs> Brent says, be, be quiet, they're listening. <laughs> All right, well, we're just about, we're just about there. As, uh, Paul, where do people find you online and uh, how do they get reach, you at, reach to you if they wanted to learn more about uh, HIPAA, compliance, all that stuff? So my email address is the easiest way to get me. It's just paul at compliancygroup.com. Uh, happy to do a consultation with you about your HIPAA needs specifically or that client that simply won't get their act together and doesn't believe this applies to them. Uh, I can help you have that conversation. That's a day in and day out thing for us. Cool.
And Ken, where, where can we find you other than every other day on the internet? Yeah, <laughs> everywhere. I know, and my name's been sold so many times, you know, because we had that problem early on with our first group, but <laughs> it's right. very simple. K Patterson, P-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-N at Pax8.com. Awesome. Ken, you have a community call that's now every Thursday, right? Every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Everybody is welcome. It's a full-on community call where we all can learn from each other. So if you're interested in getting an invite, shoot about Ken a message and he'll shoot you the link. Guys, appreciate you for jumping on. Everyone, thanks for watching. Again, keep, you know, keep on MSP Initiative Tuesdays, Thursdays, 1 o'clock Eastern time. We'll be back on Thursday and we'll see you then. Take it easy, guys. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. You got it.